Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns Easter Special. I'm Calvin, and with me are Alan. Ban this sick filth. And Saul. Easter! Yay! (laughs) Jesus! Yeah. Easter's cancelled. Easter Bunny is on quarantine. Quite right, I say. Yeah. I think the the Easter egg market is really suffering. Unless we're completely off, and by the time this recording actually goes out, everyone will be frolicking in the meadows, touching each other, spitting on each other, and (laughs) everyone's all healthy and fine. Yeah. Well, why are we talking about um, Life of Brian, actually? Uh, Because of democracy, Calvin. They won the Patreon vote. Ah, well, in that case, we have some of the very best Patreon supporters going, <laughs> by my estimation. I'm very pleased that this film was selected out of, well, what what was second and third place in the vote? I have no idea what else was on offer. It was a, uh, it, it came down to a very, very narrow decision. Uh, there was only oh. only one vote in it, and both got more <sighs> votes than things typically get to be chosen for an episode. Mm. What, what was it against, though? What was the second place? Was it God is Not Dead 12 or something? Yeah, yeah. God is Not Dead <laughs> 3. God's Not Dead 3. Oh, really? Oh, Yeah, right. light up yeah. the light or whatever. It, what was it called? God's Not Dead 3? It had a stupid name. God's Not Dead, colon, a light in darkness. Oh. Mm. Right, anyway. So we're talking about Life of Brian, which is, I believe, the first time we've probably had the excuse to talk about Monty Python on this podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. who needs an excuse, eh? Is that a quote? Yeah, when you're talking about Monty Python, everything is a quote. <laughs> right. We're the knights! Well, I think we should lay off... Who say me? We should... Oh, we should it's lay... just a flesh wound! Oh, we should uh, lay our cards <laughs> on the table and sort of say where we stand when it comes to Monty Python in general, because I think I will probably end up being the biggest fan on this podcast. I've seen every episode of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Yeah. I've seen all their films. I saw them live on, uh, at the London O2 in, I think it was 2015, 2016, whenever they did their one down, uh, five to go. Was that good? Reunion what, watching tour. him repeat stuff they did in the 60s again. You know, I mean, yeah, obvi- obviously they're just doing a lot of the same stuff over again, but you don't necessarily go for that. I think there is a certain, uh, perhaps sadness as well as charm to seeing these old men reunite and Terry Gilliam's, yeah. like, hanging 60 feet in the air on a wire doing it's these like, silly uh, things. It's like going to see the Rolling Stones, isn't it? You know, you <laughs> no, don't want to do their new material. Well, yeah, but they're, at least they're still putting out new material. I think that's the difference. They are still recording music. Yeah, but no one cares. They just want to hear <laughs> brown sugar and whatnot, and satisfaction, mm. and paint it black. I think yeah. there's—I don't know—I think there's a difference between hearing a song performed live and going through a sketch. You know, I don't know. I mean, I—I I, I just I went to see the League of Gentlemen when they did their tour uh, a couple of years back, and that was a baffling experience because it was—it was like they'd get two words into a sketch, and there'd be a wave of applause across the audience as everyone seemed to recognise the sketch mm. immediately, and not not from like a well-known phrase, just from like "So how are we?" or something like that. Everyone would be like "Way!" and it was like "What are you doing?" Mm-hmm. And then they were just doing <laughs> sketches from like series one and two and it was like what i d- I thought they were going to do some new shit yeah to bring to bring this back to monty python i i went to see spam a lot a few years ago and hmm. my coming away from that was like yeah that was sort of fine enjoyable but it felt like watching people do monty python sketches it's like you know when you're just yeah with someone hmm. who's a monty python fan and they just they just do the dead parrot sketch like from memory yeah it's like oh yeah that's really good well done but it was like that, but they're all on a stage doing this Monty Python material. It's like, yeah, I've, I remember seeing that material yeah. in a film. Yeah. I um, I listened to a story from uh, Dino Stamatopoulos, or whatever his name is, he's a comedy writer, about mm. when he met Eric Idle recently. Basically, this guy went to a party at Eric Idle's house, was the big Monty Python guy like not being cool about it, just asking him loads of questions <laughs> about the Rootles... Uh, and it got got to the point that apparently Eric Idle sort of snapped at him and was just like, man, you're living in the past. 
just stop living in the past at him and got really angry. And then he, and they, you know, they'd been drinking and so on. And he apparently was like incensed at that. Like I'm living in the past. You haven't, you know, you haven't had an original thought in 20 years. Spam a lot. And like lost it at him. And they, they just like blew up at each other and then things got really awkward. But apparently, and why it's really sad, Eric Idle took him in the kitchen a bit later to have like a little chat. And he, he got really sad and just went, like, I've just not had a single wave of inspiration since, since, uh, since, since, since Python. I my mansion. In the, for the last three <laughs> decades. I just feel like I'm just repeating myself. And, uh, apparently he seemed yeah. really sad about it. And, uh, to kind of make up for everything as, like, a token of goodwill, he gave him a signed DVD of Spamalot. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I just. But I think I think it's very sad because Eric Idle obviously cares, and then the um, the flip side of that is obviously John Cleese who couldn't give less of a shit, just happy to rehash the uh, same old shit. Yeah, I, I heard something about Spamalot where someone it might have been Terry Jones had said like, "Yeah, Spamalot. It's not very Python, but it is very Eric Idle." <laughs> uh, and basically just sort of saying, "Yeah, they've just rehashed. He's just rehashing his his old shit." And Eric Idle said, yeah, well, they never mentioned that when they cashed the checks for the millions <laughs> that we made on it. Well, he's like, always been the more entrepreneurial one of the group. Like, he was the one who sort of raised funding for Life of Brian. And he's, yeah, he's he's more of the money man, perhaps, than the it's other Eric ones. Idle you're talking uh, about. Who, who's yeah. your favourite one? Calvin, it's obviously John Cleese. Well, yeah. um, I like Sporty Python. <laughs> <laughs> uh... I couldn't cope without either John Cleese, Terry Jones, or Michael Palin in Monty Python, is where I stand. I couldn't tell any of them apart, apart from John Cleese and Eric Idle. <laughs> the rest are all just, like, old Oxbridge-type, like, six, <laughs> 1960s, Ox- <laughs> 1960s Oxbridge-type comedy. You just, you know, like, Monty Python, I really, I want to hate it because... It's just, it's like, it's the comedy that, like, your, you know, girlfriend's dad thinks is really funny. It's it's the comedy that, like... <laughs> it is funny! It's it's comedy that, like, a, an old university professor who still snorts snuff thinks is really fun <laughs> to sit there and quote whilst drinking a, a, a large rosé in, in an old man pub. It's just, there's a, just a certain kind of person who still thinks it's acceptable to sit in the pub and quote the knights who say knee. Funnily enough, when I was watching this, I I was thinking, this feels like the sort of thing that Calvin would find funny. And, <laughs> and I suppose I was relating that to our Laurel and Hardy discussion. And one of the things I really noticed watching Life of Brian, and, and may I say, like, my memory, I haven't watched it for a few years, but memory of it is that it's a great film, you know. And watching it today, what I really came away with was I did not laugh at all. I didn't even titter. I didn't... And I guess really? I'm familiar with the material. There's no sort of sense of newness there, mm. so maybe that's an element. But I think, like Laurel and Hardy when we talked about that, this feels like something that I respect rather than yeah. enjoy. I think you have to put it through this filter of a... Of yeah. a like a, This film's 40 years, 40 years old, uh, but even this was quite late in Python career. Like, this... The influence they had and and what they were doing that was different, it's difficult to see it now uh, through without looking through a lens. I always remember disliking Python more than I actually do, and I I kind of go into mm. stuff like Life of Brian wanting to hate it, and then I sit down yeah. and watch it, and it's like no, it is actually quite good. Like I can't really yeah. like it. It's but it's because it's so overplayed and overquoted and it's become too mainstream and and it's also just like you say it's very basic by modern standards you know it's it's set the tone for comedy for the following you know 40 or so years you know not all of it works it's quite hit and miss but a lot of it is actually top quality certainly for the 70s sketch comedy um, and I do take issue with the Python's film output for perhaps a lack of things beyond the the you know sketch comedy mm. quality within them. But yeah, 
Yeah, no, I quite agree. And, and I mean, I think that this is obviously their most narrative yeah. film. Yes. So I think bear that in mind as well. I mean, there is a character who sort of runs through it. There is that in the Holy Grail as mm. well, but well, yeah. the Holy Grail is much more stop and start, right? We're in a sketch now. It's also much more overtly comedic and sort of silly, which is what mm. Pythons do. This feels like, yeah, less. I know it has its moments with the spaceship and all that, but they mm. really feel out of place within this. Yeah. Where and if this feels like they didn't quite settle one way or the other, well, maybe they should have. But yeah, it's definitely much more narrative, and I think it's less overtly funny, but it's definitely more satirical. It, it's, oh, it's yeah. really making points rather yeah. than just trying to make gags. Uh, and, and that's and like the thing; that. it's it's just annoying because you know, I on the surface of it, you know, the you are all individual. Yes, we are all individual. I'm not. Is you know that's that's a great intelligent gag followed by another gag which undercuts it, like that should mm. be hilarious. But like my stepdad will just quote that at the dinner table, and so it's just completely <laughs> neutered when I sit and watch the film now. And it's not the film's fault; it's it's just it's a victim of its own. I think I success, think that's exactly. I suppose. That's exactly the experience I had when I watched it today, and it was the same with the like what have the Romans ever done for us bit, mm. which is a, you know really works nicely. But I've heard it so many times, and it's been parodied so many times. It's just it's lost all its impact, mm. and and obviously we were aware of the cultural impact this film had at the time in yeah. terms of people considering it blasphemous and stuff like that. And that just doesn't play anymore. Like it doesn't mm. certainly doesn't play to me. And I don't think it does to the public in general because we're much more secular as a society and it, it loses its bite with that. I think life of Brian is very much the sweet spot where it was kind of them all firing on, on to the best of their abilities and it's that right balance between a bit of narrative to carry you through it and the sketches. And I, I do, I, I think that it does fall prey to feeling more like a sketch show than a, a story. And if anything, I, I still kind of get a bit bored with it in the, in the third act because it's like, right, there's not really enough narrative to keep me going here. But for what it's doing, I, I, I think it's a very good job of it. I think there's something that works in Life of Brian's favour is that uh, it obviously has a target. It is, yeah, you know, yeah. making fun of organised religion and it's a satire and it's commenting on that. And it was only when I rewatched the making of on the uh, Blu-ray that it sort of occurred to me, oh yeah, God, this really was a, a thing of, um, of, of its day. Like, it was really super controversial. Mm. And it's weird watching that now because it seems so gentle oh, as yeah. a yeah. religious satire. Yeah. There is the satire of religion, but it's not a satire of faith. It's not a satire of belief or or of Jesus specifically. Uh, certainly, they claim. Yeah, and and there's a very specific scene that succinctly shows this, where they're going, "Oh, the shoe, we must follow the shoe. No, we must take off our shoes. No, the holy good." You know, they they sum it up in that one little sketch, like, "Oh, look, religion just divides on these pointless little inanities." Um, mm. That's that's it. That's your satirical scene. Oh God, the the whole the whole plot point built around the people. Was it the People's Front of Judea, the Judean People's yeah. Front, or that, that? That again, it's that same thing. It's but that's yeah. that's that's not mocking religion. That's mocking the uh, you know the the politics of the time, or certainly the sort of well, yeah, it's mocking uh, the dogma behind it. Yeah, and having a character say, "Make up your own minds. Don't do what they tell you to." It's pretty on the nose. <laughs> like it's not they're not exactly hiding the message here. But it's okay. That that it because it, it works mm. within the context and it and it's and you know, you couldn't you couldn't just I get you couldn't take a swipe at Jesus. Like you see like the controversy they had anyway, when they were quite gentle. Mm. What well, shall we talk uh, a bit more specifics about the plot? We start with the uh, baby Jesus. I, I remember watching this as a as a kid. You know, not a massively young kid, and just I think it was this. I think a friend of mine had gone on about how funny it was, and I taped it off the TV, 
And I remember just sitting in, starting to watch it, and just being like, what is this shit? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd ever seen Monty Python before, and it was just... I don't know, it's not the funniest opening scene, is it? And you're immediately presented with a, a rat bag woman! You! <laughs> I love Terry Jones as the, yeah, Brian's mother. He's brilliant. Love it. Doing that classic Monty Python voice. Yeah, I must say, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Monty Python uh, school of portraying a woman. Yeah. If you're a, no, no, if, like, as, as a man. Where... He doesn't even wear a wig or anything, or shave. It's like he's got five o'clock shadow for like most of it. But I, I, I just, I, yeah, I think it's fantastic. How are you? We are three wise men. What? We are three wise men. Well, what are you doing creeping around a car shed at two o'clock in the morning? That doesn't sound very wise to me. So yeah, we get we get a little sketch about uh, you know the oh gold frankincense and myrrh, what's myrrh and and that old thing. Mm. It's pretty, again, it just seems a bit, like, obvious now, but fair enough. Well, this is it, because this is, the, they, they weren't doing that kind of thing back then. Yeah, really, I guess so. The uh, thing that they were targeting were those biblical epics, and we've looked at Ben-Hur, and mm. I, I watched Ten Commandments for this podcast, but I think even for that episode, and they can't, they call those out as inspiration, of just sort of, like, even just the notion of, like, you have this biblical epic... And people just talk normally, as opposed to in the way that Charlton Heston delivered every line. Like, it's all very... Like, people seem to know that what they were saying was super important in all of those films, because they were aware of the gravitas. Whereas it's like, oh yeah, actually, no, people... There was just, like, a messiah fever around the Middle East at that time, and there were many different prophets, messiahs, religions popping up, and um, I, I like that they just take the attitude of like, oh yeah, just have them talk normally. Mm. I, I, I I agree as well, because it is hard to appreciate a lot of it, because like you say, it does feel so basic and overplayed and obvious now, but the, the things I really like watching this film are largely much smaller little moments and details. So, for example, that scene when uh, the mum's like, Oh, thanks very much for the frankincense and the gold. Uh, don't worry so much about the myrrh next time. Like that that little line at the end there is really funny. Like it's a really nice little underplayed. But I think it's because that don't worry so much about the myrrh next time line hasn't been quoted to death. So it's <laughs> that still has a bit of power. <laughs> As if it were brand new I, I for me. I think this is more about the kinds of people that you hang out with, Sol. You're just around people who quote <laughs> these things endlessly. I, I don't know who these people are. Is it me? Is it is it me <laughs> who, who's the, what those people? Yeah. It, it, like, it is a thing. I mean, God, that, that, that Simpsons episode from 20 years ago where Homer goes and hangs around with the nerds at college and they all start quoting Monty Python was, you know... That was calling this behaviour out 20 years ago. We are the knights who say... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it is also in this opening that, I mean, the gag is that the three wise men went to the the wrong manger, basically, and they Uh. go out and then we see Jesus, and Jesus appears uh, after the title sequence as well. Um, handled very sort of, like, you know, Mary and Joseph are there, they have the sort of the glowing halos around them. They do actually treat that with some reverence. Well, that's just spoofing how it's done in other movies, isn't it? Even that, I don't think well, it's done I don't know that. If it's spoofing, it's not making a joke out of the fact that they have these heavenly halos and the three wise men go up. I mean, obviously, it's undercut by Terry Jones slapping the baby in the next shot, but they're not making fun of. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. No, no, but they're they're kind of saying what if in that serious portrayal of the nativity that you're familiar with, this was going on in the background. So they're sort of trying oh, yeah. to yeah. play that one element as sincere as possible so that the other stuff is mm. funny by juxtaposition. 
Well, I, I do also wonder if that was a conscious thing to try and avoid legislation in the behind-the-scenes stuff they mm. talk about. Uh, oh, blasphemy law is still... Is it, is it still a thing here in England? Um, but there, there was a case, uh, yeah. and the editor of a, a gay magazine got uh, locked away or fined or something like that because he allowed the publication of a poem from the perspective of a Roman guard who was watching Jesus die on the cross and got turned on by it or something. <laughs> and he got, yeah, uh, prosecuted for uh, blasphemy, Jeez. which was the first time in a long time that that law had been. But Mary Whitehouse was a big thing around this time as well. So so there's the uh, opening credit sequence, which is the yes. only bit of sort of your classic Monty Python animation that makes it in here. Yeah. For the most part, completely illegible. I feel bad for anyone who was counting on their name <laughs> appearing on the screen because the, so much of it is like, oh god, it's really hard to see. It's <laughs> the best Bond theme that we had up until 1979, isn't it? <laughs> I do think that was a weird choice rather than doing some kind of hymn. They have this sort of, yeah, very James Bond, Shirley Bassey yeah. song. Because the the mocking, well, like the obviously the title thing is Ben Hur uh, graphics, mm. um, and they're mocking this kind of historical biblical epic thing, but they mm. do a Bond theme. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, it's it's odd, isn't it? I, yeah, I don't really get it. <laughs> but anyway, and then the film proper begins, and it's however many thirty odd years later, and the baby Brian has grown up. And, uh, yeah, it's sort of, we, we have sort of a couple of sketches to sort of settle us in for the rest of the film, I think. There's a whole thing here with Jesus delivering a sermon on the mount, and there's a bunch of people arguing at the back because they can't hear, and they're misinterpreting what he's yeah. saying. Blessed are the cheesemakers and all that. I think Eric Idle is pretty firmly my favourite one of the Pythons, and it's just because he's... God. I just find his delivery... <laughs> Well, firstly, he's the songwriter, and the the songs are such a big part of uh, what I get out of Monty definitely, Python. Definitely, yeah, so yeah. That's a big part of it. But uh, shelving that for one second, just the basic delivery of it, like that whole bit, I wouldn't have found remotely funny were it not for his performance, just being a dickhead, just being like, "Oh, fuck off, big nose! Shut up, you little big nose!" Oh, you know. Yeah, actually, I can see why that appeals to your soul. Well, yeah, everyone else is just being very like, oh, please, do be quiet. Oh, oh, no. Oh, what is going on? Really now? And it's like, okay, great. But he's actually bringing a bit of spark and energy. And But I think that's Eric Idle's characters tend to be like that. I mean, the same, that mm. character continues throughout. Um, yeah. When he's being crucified and all that. Yeah, I love he's it. Very, that's my favorite. A very strong character in the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think Eric Idle is a distinctly comedy actor where you've got Graham Chapman playing things pretty straight. Yeah. Which I think is quite necessary. I think it's nice to have that kind of focus down the middle. And, like, John Cleese never goes very big. Like, he never... He's always just John Cleese. Mm. For the most part. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't... Like, he's supposed to say, um, you know, even Michael Palin can can do a character. Terry Jones can only Mm. do... Oh, hello! I'm your mum! But that's, John that's Cleese can go big, though. He can go very big as John Cleese. I don't think you see much of it in this film. No, the biggest he goes is as that priest at the stoning scene. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But you know, in in the uh, in the sketch show, didn't he play? Was it was he called Mungo Calvin, that chef who just would walk around smashing oh, mice yeah, with a yeah. mallet? Like John Cleese would go quite big, and obviously Basil Fawlty was a very big performance as well but i do know what alan means in this film he d- like the biggest he does go is is the high priest because otherwise he's the centurion and uh reg the head of yeah. the sort of very left-wing political group yeah yeah 
the thing about um, Eric Idle in this is that I think that, I mean, bearing, uh, Terry Gilliam was never really an actor in the group anyway, so I, I yeah, don't know if I really yeah. count him. But the other ones, like Graham Chapman is obviously a lead. Terry Jones is uh, a big part. He has that mother role, which is uh, quite big. Michael Palin, Pontius Pilate. John Cleese is, I think, both the Centurion and Reg. Uh, Eric Idle is the one who feels the most bit playery out of all of them, and I think he probably ends up playing more characters than the others as a result. But the thing is, he plays the one character throughout, mm. the sort of cheeky chappy, but yeah. it, because he becomes in bits, it's like it could be a different character. You know what I mean? Like it, mm. it But yeah, then he is playing it the same way. And you go, oh yeah, it's the same guy from earlier, yeah. So there are a few sketches going on in the opening. There's the uh, the stuff on the Sermon on the Mount, and then there, there's this uh, big stoning scene, which is very much a, a sketch about the women can't go, so they're buying counterfeit beards, and John Cleese is this very schoolmasterly um, high priest, and none of that ever really comes back again. I think mm. a lot of the rest of the film, it feels like you know recurring characters you know, having a skit about something like Graham Chapman's trying to buy a beard and the guy's trying to make him haggle and that kind of stuff. Mm, Whereas yeah. in the first, like, 20 minutes or so, there is some stuff that feels quite detached from everything that comes after. Yeah, and I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, I I kind of took that, yeah, about, I don't know, I guess 40 minutes in or something, it was like, oh, this is finally kicking in. When they sort of go, oh, you're the Messiah, once that all starts, it feels like the film mm. actually gets going. Because before that, it did just feel a bit too bitty and, and, yeah. and sketchy. Yeah. And it's it's weird because it's... It does plod a bit with this whole like left-wing movement that he gets involved in, I think, because they have some kind of plan to mm. break into Pontius Pilate's place and then Brian is uh, incarcerated. And there's enough funny stuff happening here to entertain me. I like Michael Palin being the sort of Yorkshireman-style um, guy who's chained up in the dungeon oh, yeah. and he's like oh you don't know how lucky you've got it and yeah, all that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. stuff uh but i i agree that, that i think it really does kick off when he's people start calling him the messiah and that whole scene where they're chasing him around yeah, and yeah, misinterpreting completely. what he's doing he comes across the naked hermit i love all that stuff my favorite bit of the film i i, I it's weird because i think when there's a bit more plot attached to it it just makes it better like the the whole scene where it's very much a, a protracted sketch where he gets the grammar wrong on his uh, yeah. Latin graffiti, and then John Cleese comes out and makes him write it out a hundred times. That's very much like a little tangent, a sketch, but it's very organically woven into the plot as a plot point, which justifies it and makes it mm. feel much better and some like something I like far more yeah. than the stoning scene, which, you know, completely removed from context. The stoning scene is basically as funny, I would say. They're about the same, but the stoning scene's irrelevant, so it just kind of annoys me because <laughs> it's not progressing anything and I like the stoning scene. <laughs> just because I like John Cleese being angry schoolmaster. Do you prefer him do you not prefer him being an angry schoolmaster Roman? Correcting his grammar. Uh no, I like I like the uh, ridiculous costume he has on, and the <laughs> facial hair adds to it as well. I know what you're saying, though, Sol. Yeah, I think I agree. If you can weave them into the plot, then it just it feels so much um, sleeker and, and cleaner. Yeah, 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 definitely. Should we talk about this alien bit? Because <laughs> that's uh, quite a yeah. I watched this with my partner who hadn't seen it before. And he was, like, chuckling at bits. It kept his attention throughout. But then when that happens, he was like, wait, what? What is going on? And then he sort of just accepted it and whatever. But it is a really weird, like, oh, I guess Star Wars was a thing a couple of years ago. Uh, <laughs> I mean, to be honest with really you, know. in the context of the Monty Python's sketch stuff, it, it totally makes sense. They did that yeah. stuff all the time. It's like... Oh, we haven't got a punchline, so let's just <laughs> make someone run through, and then there's a lumberjack, and he starts singing. <laughs> mm, like yeah, that, someone that's bursts it. through they, they, a wall, and yeah, yeah, a foot stamps on them, an anvil's dropped on their head. Yeah, in this film, they're going for a more narrative structure, and yeah. this is the particularly one big outlier. Um, well, I, I, but yeah, I, I guess it it feels like they were like, 
got to give Terry Gilliam something to do. <laughs> he, keeps, keeps, he keeps calling. He says, "Why? Why aren't, yeah. we, why aren't we asking him to do?" Anything? I I think that's it, though. I I genuinely I think it feels very much like they they like look. We're Monty Python. We make eclectic, crazy stuff. Yeah. This film is falling into a trap of being a bit too grounded for a Monty Python production because of yeah. what we're doing with it. How can we inject a bit mm. of zany energy into it and give Terry uh, Gilliam something to do? And I I think it is born out of that. And whether or not it works or was the right decision, I, I don't know. But I, I can completely understand what led them to do it. And it is ultimately like yeah. 30 seconds of screen time, isn't it? So... Yeah, I agree. I do think it it works less now than it did then, probably. But yeah, if you're a Monty Python mm. fan, you're going to see a Monty Python film. That's not going to particularly be that weird, is it? But yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it because they have that camp man who's just like, "Oh, you lucky bastard!" <laughs> yeah, that was great. I think that's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there's really. Uh, do you want to talk about the the left wing group at all? Um, there's some stuff in here now which is sort of like. I remembered the whole stuff with Eric Idle wanting to be known as Loretta and yeah. his rights to be a woman, all that kind of stuff. That felt very like, oh, that's really yeah. current. Uh, there was quite I- a few things here that were like, yeah, this is this is really quite ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah, and and it fe- the weird thing about that is, is it feels like it's supposed to be kind of poking fun at left-wing sort of liberalism. Because I think what they're trying to do is satirising how liberal they are. But now, mm. looking back at it, it's like, oh, compared to stuff you usually see from the 70s, this feels like very uh, on uh, on trend and like <laughs> current. Yeah. Because they're so kind yeah. of accepting of it and they're just trying to get on with mm. it uh, to by 70s standards. But I don't know, yeah. was that a yeah, joke? No, were they satirising that idea or were they just being nice? Uh- I think I think it was poking fun at just like these groups. Like, you, I mean, it, fe- it felt like Jeremy Corbyn uh, supporters. To be honest, there's a lot of motions and votes on motions and yeah. motions on votes on motions and all that kind of stuff, and without anything actually actually getting done. Yeah, and a lot of like, oh god, we hate the Romans. What have they ever done for us? And it's like, oh well, actually, they've done a lot of stuff. Uh, so yeah, and I, I guess all of that was around in the 70s. A lot of trade unions and. Mm. That kind of stuff, a lot of bodies that never actually you know got things done, but th- this group is important because it introduces Judith uh-huh. into the uh story, and her relationship with Brian is supposed to be a plot point, or it's certainly a drive for him to try and get into this group um that always yeah. feels very underdeveloped it does does doesn't it yeah, maybe that's another yeah. bond reference. Um, it feels, <laughs> yeah, that whole thing just feels really weirdly dropped in. Uh, yeah, uh, mm. like why do they they hook up? And she's not really developed as a character, and you know, it's not Terry Jones <laughs> in a in a wig. I don't know. What's, yeah, I'm not quite sure what they were trying to do with that. Maybe trying. Maybe they that was like, oh, let's try and do like a sincere what you would do as a kind of romantic subplot, but then subvert mm. it by having them naked, like really overtly naked, yeah. and that's kind of unusual. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's yeah. it. Is that... <laughs> I've no idea what her full frontal nudity is about, uh, or his, actually. Like, Graham Chapman is uh, completely nude in this. Well, the, the thing, the good thing about that, obviously that bit is like he opens the windows and then everyone's staring at him. It's like, it's the classic, you mm. feel naked in front of a crowd thing, right? Yeah. Plus yeah. it's, mm, a, yeah. as a visual thing, it's very like, whoa, I can see his cock and balls. And, you know, yeah. a, a cock and balls <laughs> is innately comedic, as we all know. Mm. So that's funny. Then she's just naked and wandering around. And weirdly, like her hair is obviously taped to her breasts so that they don't show. But then she's completely mm. bottomless. So I don't know if that's a joke or not. Uh, the idea of not showing nudity, but then the rest of us nude as well. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm giving him too much credit there. Because it certainly doesn't play yeah. in the scene. 
No, 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 that's true. That's true. I don't know if this actress is necessarily that good. Maybe yeah. it's just the part is written and directed. Yeah. I don't know. But I, yeah. she she does like this whole angry sort of student union thing throughout. And yeah. that's really her only thing. I don't even really understand how she ends up falling for Brian. Because yeah. it's only after everyone is chasing him around thinking he's the messiah that... That, uh, there's a scene that ends with just the reveal of her saying Brian, and then they're in bed together all of a sudden, and yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of all that. It, it feels like something got cut from the film, frankly. Um, I don't know if that's mm. the case or not. But Well, I don't yeah. know that about that. Well, a lot of things got cut, but they also put out a lot of deleted scenes, and no- there's nothing in them. That would uh, suggest mm. that. Yeah. Well, she's not a particularly yeah. funny or comedic character, so maybe they just thought we're only going to put out deleted scenes that are like self-contained <laughs> jokes rather than mm. plot stuff. Mm. I don't know. With, going back to the nudity as well, I, I, it's I, I wouldn't say it's like remotely sexualized nudity, which is oh, kind no, of unusual. No. It's it's just very matter of fact. So, I mean, I don't even know if it's meant to be all that funny beyond the basic joke of like you say always oh, exposed in front of an entire crowd but no no when she's running around naked no i know it, i know it, i don't think there's any it real come across gag as, to it it's not funny yeah. it's certainly not sexualized it, i mean the only gag is terry jones mother like can't believe what she's seeing and she's just appalled shocked and yeah appalled. and but uh, yeah i mean is it you know uh, is this just sort of like a comment on censorship and kind of our puritanical attitudes to nudity and it's just like hey you just put it there on the screen and like we I mean, don't care maybe. we're just I, challenging I, all sorts of ideas i can't say i really I thought much of it being there I, I suppose it probably is quite a big conscious decision on the you know parts of the people making this film in 1979 mm. but watching it now it never really struck me as like ooh a naked woman ooh how unusual. Um, <laughs> I think it is still unusual, though. In, in a mainstream yeah. sort of film that's, a, that's aiming for normal sort of... If it was a little, like, 70s European film, then you expect it, you know? Well, <laughs> yeah, but this is... this <laughs> is Art film or something. By 70s standards, this is the equivalent of, you know, an R-rated comedy now. Like a Seth well, you Rogen wouldn't, You wouldn't get that in a Seth Rogen comedy. You wouldn't yeah, you would. No, you haven't. You didn't you watch Longshot? It had a fucking no. cum shot in it. Uh, a what? Sorry, <laughs> a cum shot. <laughs> Seth Rogen like jizzes all over his face by mistake. It's like something about Mary all over again. You absolutely would just get matter of fact nudity in in a film like that. Of course you would. I think you did in Forgetting Sarah Marshall with the uh, what's his name. The actor just drops his towel and he's just completely naked for a scene. Mm. A man being naked isn't the same. Well, yeah, I I think oh, right, I think yeah, the only true. reason you wouldn't get female nudity in that sense would be for fear on the part of the filmmakers for appearing to be gratuitous and sexist by just having a naked woman in their film for no reason. Um, mm. I think that is all that would actually be holding them back. This is why I'm questioning in this scene the fact that her nipples are covered quite deliberately. It is it, like I'm just thinking: was the censorship rules you can't show nipples? Like, okay, that's not allowed. Bit of cleavage is fine, but you can't show the nipples. And so they go, okay, yeah, we covered the nipples. There you go. Uh, but then had a completely naked otherwise. I think I don't know. That might be mm. just a little wouldn't surprise me by yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Mm. It certainly evokes religious artwork as well. And I suppose it'd be a bit weird if she came out with a fig leaf covering her. Downstairs. So. <laughs> yeah. mm. Anyway, after that, uh, all of a sudden Brian finds himself with a load of followers, and then he's captured, isn't he? And he's just uh, sort of put in the line for the crucifixion, having a big crucifying session, and then Pontius Pilate is going to uh, free one of the people, and people are mocking him how he has a speech impediment. Mm-hmm. That whole mm. bit, the whole Pontius Pilate bit, we have the first mm. scene setting up the whole speech impediment, biggest, dickest thing, and then the second scene where addressing the crowd. I think it works as a gag, but it just, like, they try and make the gag 24 times, and you can, like, just make the gag mm. 11 times, and it's fine. <laughs> 
Uh, you know, that's mm. the comedy rule of 11, I like to call it. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's just, they it just drags on a bit too long, these whole bits. It, although it is funny, and I like Michael Palin it's, plays it it's, well. And... It's the biggest dickest bit funny. <laughs> uh, I, I like it. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay with that. Uh, like, the, 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 the not but, necessarily I mean, what's the... the... The joke there is, correct me if I'm wrong, the joke there is that a guy has a name that sounds like Big Dick. Yeah. What more do you need? (laughs) But the bit, the sketch, is that the guards are trying not to laugh and Pont Pilot doesn't get it. And But it goes goes on too long, really, but, you know, Mm. that's fine. I like that as a thing. I think it's an extremely weak part of this film, honestly. The only thing I find remotely funny with that character is at the end when they're shouting people they want to be set free that are made up, and then one of them says, you know, free Brian, and then the guy goes, oh yeah, that's a good one, let Brian go, or whatever, and then he's like, oh, for fuck off. But then it's the way that, you know... Oh, actually, there is a Brian in there. Oh, is there? Okay. Like, I find that funny, because it's all a bit kind of... There's a lot of understated performance about it, and it's not quite as, like, mm. overt and just like, ha-ha, you talk funny. <laughs> I mean, I know that's all Terry Jones is doing as well, doing a silly voice, but it just... I don't know, it just feels very weak to just have a guy being like, hello, I I Pontius Pilate and I can't pronounce my word. I I can't do my words prop properly. <laughs> but I think I think that is part of the joke as well that it is this historical figure who is normally treated with such sort of reverence and like oh this is a big name in the whole story of Christ and they are just sort of yeah doing him as like a silly voice comedy character. I think that is part of the joke. Oh yeah, completely. I just yeah, I just don't. Funny, funny. What did Pontius Pilate actually do in the story of Christ? Like, his name rings a bell. Yeah, he washed his hands of the whole thing. Didn't want to get involved. Oh, really? Really? Hmm. See, I, I, I'm going off of Jesus Christ Superstar here, and I'm worried that perhaps it's not the most accurate <laughs> portrayal of the story. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it is just, you know, to take that figure from... Who is... I don't know if there's any other... Obviously, Jesus is in the film, but I guess Pontius Pilate is the only other sort of real-life... In, put that in quotations uh, figure that's here yeah. so I like it as like a conceit that he's doing this he's going to spare one person they're making fun of him someone has to you know it, I think if it were maybe it's editing I don't know maybe it's because I don't care about Judith I, I feel like that could re- work really well as a climax but yeah. it just doesn't it just kind of fizzles out and she's trying to get like the the group galvanized to do something and they're just again discussing about doing something rather than actually doing it I I like all of that but I don't know if it works well together I I like the plot beats like you say I I think the end of this film is very unsatisfying and I think it, it, it comes down to Python's not really being very good at plot and and narrative particularly, but obviously that wasn't what they were going for mm. as a primary thing. I think the satire and the, the sort of concept of the ending is great, but I don't know, it's mm. just not a very satisfying conclusion to a story for me. Certainly not when they mm. tr- sort of try and gloss over the impact of the whole thing by just having a funny song, as 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 wonderful a song as it is. I, you know, it's probably the mm. the shining crown jewel in in Eric Idle's <laughs> music career. Cheer up, Brian. You know what they say: some things in life are bad. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, don't grumble, give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. Aye. Always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the light side of life. I, I, I always forget that Always Look on the Bright Side of Life is from this film because it's it's so it's such a, a good example of uh, a song or something from a film just entering 
the pop culture lexicon, you know, as something on its mm. own terms. I think a lot of people probably aren't even aware that that song is from that film. I don't think I was before, I, like, when I was maybe a young teen, and I knew the song from general culture, but I'd never yeah. seen the film. Yeah, and then you watch it and you're like, oh, that's what it's from. I think a lot of people watching the film for the first time now probably think, oh, they're using that song. And there's probably a lot of people who think, oh, I wonder if that's from this film or if if they're just... Like, it, yeah, it, it's... Anyway, yeah, I don't even know what the point is. It's, it's a yeah, great it's, song. It's transcended and it's, its Yeah, position. transcended, yeah, that's the word. It's yeah, its source. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is interesting that that's happened. And it, and it is it's strange... Well, I guess you maybe not feel the same way, but it's strange how satisfying an ending it is. Mm. Because it is just the the Monty Python, well, we don't know what to do here, so let's yeah. just do something a bit odd. But it works, and yeah. it's that song that nails it. It's because that song, you yeah. do kind of just go out going, eh, oh, fuck it. I think <laughs> it's very much yeah. a kind yeah. of, eh, fuck, whatever. Whatever the fuck, go on. I think... <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like, I, I think it would have worked for me more, like, if we'd seen the kind of really bleak moment where Brian, like, dies out on the cross... <laughs> And then Eric Idle had sort of started singing it like, come on guys, let's have a sing song, like, after he died or something. I think I'd find it more satisfying. Well, I think sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. I think Alan uh, summed it up really well for this. It is strange how, sort of, it's satisfying, even though it's it's, it, it's not. Yeah, really. no, I know um, what you mean. And that is Eric Idle. We've got Eric Idle to thank for that. The true hero of Monty <laughs> yes. Python. Everyone's favourite Python. I mean, look, I, I what is is this funny because everyone hates Eric Idle or something? What, like I? No, I just yeah. I. <laughs> I'm sure he's some people's favorite. Well, I, he is my favorite, like purely down well, to the the songs. The songs are such yeah, a big part. No, I agree. I what, think the, the songs the... resonate through time more than most of the sketches do. What What is the best bit of the meaning of life? It's one of the songs. What's the second best bit of meaning of life? It's the other song. What else do you remember from that film? Well, people reference the Mr. Creosote scene, but it's not funny yeah. um, or good. <laughs> You can you can forget everything else in that film. It doesn't have any lasting power or anything. What's the best thing in Life of Brian? It's probably Always Look on the Bright Side of Life as a song, to be honest. it's uh, Even that opening number's a pretty good song, even though it's a weird decision and a bit out of place and what have you. What's the best thing about One Foot in the Grave? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Infinite Monkey Cage? <laughs> What's the best thing about Casper the Friendly Ghost? <laughs> And that's why that's why spam a lot is everyone's favourite thing that Monty Python did because it was just loads of Eric Idle music, right? Yeah. Is it actually? <laughs> I, I should really listen to the soundtrack. If did he just write a load of songs for it? No, he just used all the old songs. Ah, uh, God's sake, Eric Idle. <laughs> there is a couple of new ones in there. I'm I'm glad they didn't show Brian dying. I think that would have been a bit too much of a dark note to end on. Obviously, it is a dark note to end on. It's a bunch of people upon a crucifix who are going to die slow and painful deaths. But Mm. if we'd have seen that, I think it would have been a bit too dark. I'm not remotely surprised that we don't. I think, personally, I would like it a lot more. I think I'd get more of a sense of, you know, finite conclusion... And then the song would be like a little pick-me-up after you've had that bleakness, but... I think they could have done something to wrap up Brian's character arc if there is such a thing in this Mm. film. Like, one of the last uh, bits of dialogue we hear in the film, other than the singing, is someone say, Oh, come on, Brian! And I think he sort of... It's not a very good shot. I think he's starting to smile and he's sort of like going along with the the song. And it's kind of nice because he's spent pretty much all of the film worrying... Um, he's been chasing Judith around, but he really doesn't want to get too involved in things. He's quite a meek chap and ne- never smiles. And I quite like that at the end, oh, he's going to die, but oh, this song's quite nice. He's going to cheerfully sing along to it. But again, I wish they'd made more of a point of that if that was mm. indeed the point. 
I, I think the song's interesting as well, because whilst it has utterly transcended this film, it's kind of lost its original meaning, I think. I think a lot of people, mm. as, as happens a lot with songs and music, uh, where there's like a satirical element to it, it's like it's just shed all depth and meaning, and it's just taken at face value. So, like, Randy Newman's mm. I Love LA, for example, is a famous example, because it's a quite scathing criticism of LA and LA culture, um, commenting on homelessness and things like that prevalent in the city. But he sings I Love LA. (laughs) 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 But, you know, he sings that he loves LA. LA culture's pretty bad, but I love it. (laughs) You sound different today, Randy. A bit deeper. (laughs) Yeah. It's got cold. It's got, ooh, yeah. it's got got a bit of a cough. Got got a, oh oh. Well, good luck. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think it's just my point is that you know that song is used for as as like the official anthem of the some LA sports team, and it's become adopted as like an anthem of LA, and people love it as yeah, LA, brilliant. Even though it's like criticizing LA, and I think this song is that exact same phenomenon where. The joke is kind of like how ridiculous it is to have an attitude like that. I, like, I don't think Eric Idle means it sincerely. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is meant very sincerely like, oh, it could always be worse. But I think they're kind of taking the piss. But well, yeah, it's I mean, become adopted. The lyrics, I mean, I, everyone knows the always look on the bright, like the chorus. But like the verses, are, uh, life's a piece of shit when you look exactly. at it. Life's a laugh and death's a joke. It's true. You'll see it's all a show, keep them laughing as you go. Just remember that the last laugh is on you. It's all stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know if I think pe- I think the, the the chorus sticks in people's minds and then I think that's it. they it's... don't think about the verses and then when they hear it, yeah. it's yeah, like, oh, okay. <laughs> but that's it, it's become like a football anthem and stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's it's become mm. like uh, it's been adopted very sincerely because like you say, all these people just remember the chorus and go, Oh well, cheer up and it's like mm. I think the important part, mm. I think the important thing about it, and this is not necessarily as obvious, but this, the, it's, what they're not saying is, hey, it's okay, we're going to a better place, uh, and, you know, we'll all be in heaven or whatever. It's saying, like, we're going to be dead soon. Yeah, it's a bad way to go, but then we're dead, and there's nothingness, so it doesn't matter, and nothing really matters, mm. so we may as well just enjoy it while we're here. And it's a real, I think that's one of the more distinctly anti-Christian messages in the film. Uh, yeah. Even though it yeah. doesn't necessarily the one that gets played uh, you mm. know, as, as mm. such. I really like how intrinsically born out of Eric Idle's character at the end it is as well. I always forget that his character is just doing that the whole way through. The kind of, oh well, sun's out and it's a different character. Falling out. The- is it? Yeah. It's just yeah. because <laughs> is they, it really? Which is a, yeah, which is a bit of a fuck up, but like because it shouldn't. Well, it shouldn't be. be. Yeah, that character because they want the gag of him being taken down because he says he's Brian and he gets away. Oh, you're right. It but is, then yeah. they're like, oh shit, we need Eric up there to do the song. Oh, shit, yeah. Er- <laughs> so they Eric just have sang another bloke and just put a different <laughs> wig on him, and he does it does the same voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, that's Eric showing his. Uh... His, his shortcomings as a performer there. <laughs> Maybe if they thought these things through in a bit more detail, then the film would have been successful. And there'd still be people talking about it now. Okay, let's put some numbers on it then. Calvin, you go first. Well, I, I'm i a big fan. Uh, I think it is the strongest of Monty Python's feature films. That might not be saying a lot. I'm more <laughs> of a fan of the Flying Circus TV show myself. But one of my favorite episodes of that actually is where they do just do a 30 minute episode where they try to do like a continuous narrative throughout the whole thing where Mm. uh, Michael Palin's a a cyclist going around and getting into scrapes and stuff, um, which I quite like. Anyway, 
Um, Life of Brian is great and very funny, and I probably watch it every couple of years. I don't think it diminishes value on repeated viewings as much as I'm sure Sol is about. And I hate coming on this show and talking about comedies with Sol because it's all this same bloody thing. And maybe one day we'll get onto some Eddie Murphy comedy or something like that. And We've I done plenty of them. Have some revenge. <laughs> What, why do you think I like uh, Eddie Murphy? That's Alan. <laughs> well, no, you'd probably like... I don't know what you, you like. Um, anyway, it's uh, 8 out of 10 from me. I like Windy City Heat, or whatever it's called. Windy City Heat, let's do that. It's a funny film. Let's do Borat. <laughs> I like mean-spirited comedy where real people are having <laughs> mean things done to them. <laughs> I think that says a lot about you, and as it is Easter, you should really perhaps think about uh, forgiving or something. <laughs> yeah, well done, Colin. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was like you heard the words coming out of your mouth as you said them, it was great. <laughs> what, sorry, what did you give it, Calvin? Have you, have you rated it? I didn't even... I, I gave it an eight. Is that all? <laughs> well, yeah. I thought you were going to go 9 or 10 on this, honestly. I'm surprised. I mean, this isn't, like, you know, way out west. Or... <laughs> yeah, Charlie Chaplin, but it's, it's good. Well, I'll I'll jump onto that. I mean, I don't know why you're picking on me, saying I'm being mean about your comedy. I think I've been quite nice about it. I, I've, you know, I've said I want to slag it off and hate it because people are annoying with it who love it too I much don't know and can't who these people are anyway it's right there's <laughs> loads of them you encounter them all the time i li- never in my daily life do well, i yeah, encounter maybe, people maybe not in your not in your twitter sphere your little liberal bubble down in that <laughs> london <No>. but <laughs> Out there in the real world, where yeah, (laughs) where there's people who voted Brexit and stuff, they're all quoting Monty Python because John Cleese thinks Brexit's good and foreigners are ruining the UK. So anyway, (laughs) um, I I think you know, as I've said, I I I think it's impossible to sincerely take real issue with this film because it is very funny, intelligent, not or not entirely, but a lot of it is very funny, intelligent stuff. And it's not really the film's fault if a lot of it's dated badly because it was so successful and lasted the test of time to the point that it's been overplayed. You know, I, I can't listen to Nirvana anymore and the Beatles that much anymore either. It's the same thing. Like, the Beatles produced wonderful music, but... I've heard it too much. So, yeah, I think it's only legitimate shortcomings, really, is that it's trying to be a narrative film, and I don't think the narrative is necessarily as strong as it might be or holds up. So I, I give it a very strong, solid 7 out of 10. Good God. <laughs> what? Is that is that too low for you? <laughs> no, 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 I, it was much higher than I thought it was going to be. Well, there you go, yeah, I don't know why you think I'm... Um... I, I like this film. I think it's again. I agree. I think it's Python's best film. Yeah, I mean, I, I concur with most of what you just said there. Really, I have had to apply a, a certain lens uh, to to watch this in a modern context and, and and try and you know see it without the the cultural weight that now comes with it. I suppose. With that in mind, uh, I gave it an eight. Oh, well. <laughs> Highest rated Easter film that we've looked at on Diminishing Returns. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Be- beat Out, Left Behind, and God's Not Dead. Two films which may very well be in IMDb's bottom hundred of all time lists. So. <laughs> <laughs> Left Behind yeah. certainly is. So, what are you guys doing for Easter this year? I'm going to go out and buy a load of Easter eggs the day after Easter, assuming they won't have sold very well. Actually, no, people are going to panic buy Easter eggs, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> Need to buy them now. Yeah, shit. Well, Quick! Buy them all! I'll probably sit at home and eat an Easter egg 
in one sitting and just lament the fact that I'm I'm going to gain copious amounts of weight on lockdown because <laughs> I'm just in that attitude of like oh, I don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> It's it's not. I it's, went for a jog this morning. I have yeah. the opposite effect. I've been eating well. I yeah, I've been quite the uh, active chappy. Uh, I'm, my mental health shot to pieces. I'm I'm just like oh, I just want to eat a bag of watsits. This is what you've always dreamed of. Yeah, a virus infecting the world, and yeah, you love this stuff. Yeah, but you know. And there's all the other stuff in there. Other people. <laughs> That's my problem. I actually I actually care about other people. That's the problem. What? I know. <laughs> I know. I wish I didn't. Uh, like, if I Who? didn't. No, Name that. one. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you again to all our Patreon supporters who voted for this film to be the subject of the episode. If you would like to help out the show, do consider going to patreon.com forward slash dimreturns, where you can support us for just $1 a month. And for that, you get to help us choose what sort of episodes we're going to be doing in the future, but also you get extra content in the form of diminisodes, which are sort of mini-episodes, usually reviews of new releases, sometimes just weird little conversations that we have. But lots of extra content, uh, just $1 a month. Do go there and help us out. And do please join us next week when we have a very special episode with two special guests. We are looking at the film This Is England and the TV series that followed it. And we have an interview with Thomas Tagoose and Andrew Ellis, two of the stars of that film. And big thanks to Joe Farrah, friend of the show, who helped sort that out for us. It's not what you know, it's who you know in the podcasting game. I'll tell you what. Do join us for that next week. And we hope you enjoyed the show.